Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 100. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode... We talk about teams with or teams that are not happy with the Indians acquiring Josh Donaldson, and more specifically, how they acquired him. We'll be talking about Jose Ramirez and the 30 home run, 30 stolen base club, and his total dominance over Mario Kart 64. We have some thoughts on the opener, and we dive deep into the numbers of some September call-ups for the Indians, um, the recent success, what we could see this year, kinds of fun stuff like that. Joining me for all that and more is none other than Mr. Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how you doing? Matthew, I'm distressed. <laughs> I can't. Why? What? I, what happened, Mary? Well, so we all know. We all know who those who listen, record, and you know, troll this podcast. No, Corey Kluber's a good pitcher, and yet tonight, as we record this, this uh, it's a Monday night, right? Yeah, Monday night. He threw fifty-five pitches in one and two-thirds innings and was shelled by the Rays. But most notable was his use of twenty. 20 of those 55 pitches were of his cutter. And this is what bugs the hell out of me. Because we're dealing with a pitcher here who's one of the best in baseball. I mean, objectively, right? Yeah, you, you don't win a couple of Cy Youngs by accident. And yet, he keeps on throwing this pitch, this cutter of his, which I know the numbers speak to me as saying it's a good pitch. But it just, it, I don't know, I think about pitching maybe too much. And it moves on the, in the same exact plane as his slider or breaking ball or, or what have you. But... You know, with less break and whatnot. And I know it's a good cutter. Many pitchers, many other pitchers would want that to be their actual slider. It moves so well. But the fact that he throws such a brilliant, you know, breaking ball, sometimes it confuses me why he continues to go back to this pitch when he has other very effective pitches. His, his, his sinker is very good, even though we're in a post-sinker environment. His four-seam fastball, it's a little bit of a zip, but it's still a good pitch. And it works in pairing with the slurve or what, or what have you to, you know, bedevil hitters and one. I don't know. It's just after the night, again, it's, it, this is yet another time where this has been a problem. It just seems like all his bad times are when his cutter isn't working. And again, maybe that's just the reason that it's so when, when he's good, he's so good is because his cutter is making people swing swing at it when in fact they're, it's, what they're actually seeing is the slurve or the fastball or what have you. I don't know. I'm not really sure. <sighs> and do you have any theories on why that is? Like maybe he's working working it out now before we get to the playoffs and it can be effective or something? Well, I don't know. I mean, like, no, I don't. Honestly, it's it, it seems to me that I, last year, you know, he threw a, by the end of the year, he was throwing, you know, considerably more slurves than anything else. He was throwing them like, it was throwing like 40% of the time. Next closest pitch was actually the cutter, I think, at, like 21 or something like that when the numbers in front of me because my internet's being wonky. Um, he said as he recorded something over the internet. 
Uh, <laughs> it's fine. Nothing, it's not like this would drop and we'd lose several minutes of a recording. That would never happen. So never happened once. Never happen again. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe again, maybe he's working. On, maybe it just wasn't working that because that's one of those things that can happen too. You know, it's especially like some pitches. I, I, it, to me, at least, it seems like in, in all my reading and all my whatnot with baseball, um, few pitches are more feely, I guess, than the cutter. Like someone like Mariano Rivera learned his cutter by virtue of feel. Uh, it's it's a very you know finger intensive pitch, whereas like you know a, a curveball is very much driven by your arm movement. A four seam fastball is much simpler to just throw. You just hold it. I just want to hold a four-seat fastball and throw it, whereas there's much less, I suppose, pinching and pressure points that you have to hit when you throw the ball with the cutter. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just tonight. Maybe it just wasn't his night tonight. I don't know. It just seems like this happened to, against the Rays. I don't know. I don't remember if he offhand if he pitched against the Rays last time they faced the Rays. But, again, it just seems like every time he has a bad outing, it's the cutter's fault, or at least in large part. Maybe that's just the makeup of the kind of pitcher he is, so. Maybe he just saw Trevor Bauer stealing his curveball and then said, I don't want to use that anymore because he's stealing it. And now he's just jealous and using his cutter. Oh, maybe he's just that's... too cool. He's just a total pitch hipster. He was like, man, right? so last year. I'm moving on. Cutters for days now. I'm going throwback, baby. I'm going to start throwing, you know, uh, I don't know. What's a, what's a real throwback pitch? Spitballs and uh... – <laughs> What's the other? What's that curve? The curveball that breaks the other way. The one that really destroys your arm. The um, screwball. Screwballs and spitters, Screw baby. That's all balls. I throw. <laughs> uh, Occasionally, an Ephus just launch one in there, just because. Yeah, the why not? You know, I, I'm an Ephus pitcher. Uh, oh, are you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, batting <laughs> practice. Yes, I've heard of that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see today? There was. I don't. It wasn't like made today, but there was these kids in. Um, I think it was Japan where they made a game where you play baseball with ping pong balls or bottle caps because you get like insane movement with either one of them. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It looks like Corey Kluber pitches when they do it because of how much movement it has, but like they literally oh, cool. just flick the the bottle cap and it floats mm-hmm. and gets a ton of movement and you got to hit it with a stick. This seems like a ridiculously fun game. And with the I, way the Indians are playing right now and how far they had they on the division, I'd rather watch that than MLB right now because <laughs> it's really almost unwatchable. I, um, for some reason that calls to mind a story I remember someone telling about Pablo Sandoval in like the 2010 World Series where he learned to hit by having his brother throw bottle caps at him in their garage in, where's he from, Venezuela maybe? Wherever they were from. And that's how he learned to hit and why he hit the way he did, you know, swinging at everything in, yeah. out, and around the zone. I, I feel like Jose Ramirez had a story like that too. Like he, he played with something that wasn't a baseball. I mean, Isn't that, that- that is a, uh, you know, I mean, that seems to be a common thread with Latin American players. One of the reasons, too, it's 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 positive. They're always such great fielders, seemingly naturally, is because the fields they play on are whatever the opposite of well manicured and not full of stones is. Um, <laughs> I believe not good is the term you're looking. For. Yeah, I believe I believe actually a pile of stones <laughs> is the opposite of those. <laughs> it allows you to, you know, it, it gets you more used to odd bounces and things like that. So. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, it's funny you mentioned that with the errors that Jose Ramirez had the other night with odd bounces from turf. I mean, good lord, that was kind of those were really bad. <laughs> and then, he, of course, he dove and got a perfect play. And then that, 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 that one he just whiffed on, like, just that lazy, you know, where, where, where the you just you know you just scoop it with your glove. You know, what I'm talking about that, that he whiffed on. I oh, was, yeah, was so confused when that happened. I was like, what? No, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, that's Honestly, dumb. I think he was too, just looking at him. 
That was the most routine play possible for a, a third baseman or infielder in general. You know, it's just like, I don't know. It, it seems so, I don't know. But there you have it. <laughs> Easy. So I don't know if you heard, but the Indians, uh, they traded for somebody named Josh Donaldson. I think some some podcast talked about it quite a bit last week. I don't remember uh, if he was talking about this or not, but whatever. <laughs> but uh, so Ken Rosenthal the other day, I think it was just yesterday, Sunday, um, he had an article out that there were several teams who were upset with how the Indians, how the trade went about and what happened surrounding it. Um, so the gist of it is, it was the Yankees and Red Sox. They called specifically to voice displeasure about the move. Astros, the way that Ken Rosenthal put it, just wanted clarification. Man, and they were satisfied. Right, yeah. We wanted him because the Yankees <laughs> were trying to get him too, like right towards the end. Um, the Astros probably didn't actually want him. They were just, I don't know what they were doing. But but the Yankees and Red Sox reportedly at least were trying to get him to, to varying degrees, but they didn't. The Indians got him, of course, the last second. Um, and their complaint centers around the fact that in order to be on the waiver wire and have a trade, you have to be what's called certified healthy, which means you get pulled up the disabled list, you can do the trade, and then you have to play on the other team. I don't think there's any limit like when you have to play. Right. <laughs> um, but so... The Blue Jays did certify, say that he was certified healthy, quote-unquote, and then they did the trade, and then, of course, the Indians never played him. He went right back to the disabled list for a rehab stint, um, and then apparently these teams got all uppity about it. Um, I think Donaldson had the most... If anybody has... A, what do I want to say? Has a, a right to be upset about the trade, it might almost be Donaldson, because he, he was saying the whole time he didn't think he was healthy, whether that's because he actually isn't healthy, mm-hmm. or he just didn't want to play and injure his hamstring for nothing... Uh, before it's free agency, we don't know, but um, but reportedly when the Indians made the trade with the Blue Jays, they talked. They were um, MLB allowed them to talk to Donaldson right after the agreement was made before it was like finalized, just to make sure he'd actually play for him and they could set out a quick like layout of a plan. And then I guess he must have been happy with it because the Indians went through with it. They sent over a player to be named later, who we know now is going to be um, Julian Merriweather. Um, and then of course Donaldson got over. He still hasn't played. He's going to debut tomorrow. We just learned. Um, Chris Antonetti, he did an interview with The Athletic with Zach Mizell. He's going to play tomorrow. Jose tomorrow Ramirez is going to move. Tuesday when you probably Tuesday, hear right. this. Yeah. yeah, probably tonight, yeah. Um, and Jose Ramirez is going to move to second. Jason Kipp is the center field. And then they're going to stay there because um, Donaldson isn't going to play every day. But he's going to um, – the other two don't, don't want to move. I think it's mainly Jose doesn't want to move back and forth. So he's going to stay at second. And then Kipnis is going to float center field. I don't know where else. But tomorrow we're going to start seeing the playoff Indians, what they're basically going to look like. You know what this means, don't you? What's that? You know what this means, don't you? It doesn't. I want it to, but it doesn't. It's Eric Gonzalez is going to be the third baseman. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I would do, we need a wager. Before the next podcast, which is going to be two weeks because somebody's just leaving. Hey, I hate um, this country. How many, star- of this. <laughs> how many starts is Yandy Diaz going to get at third base between now and in two weeks? I'm going to go zero. I'm saying five. he doesn't get a single start. Five? Yeah. After they don't play him like at all, you're just saying, screw it, stick him out there. <laughs> he's now our third baseman. Hey, baseball That's is a game you have to play every day, all right? So he's going to play <laughs> every third day or something. I don't know. 15 days, right. once every three days, boom, five times. I, don't know, I think the sad part is between zero and five is pretty accurate to what it's really going to be. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Either yeah. way. It's going to happen once by accident because they're going to write the wrong name on the <laughs> He meant to write Gonzalez and just wrote Diaz. It's basically the, the letters are right next to each other. I make that mistake constantly whenever I write. I don't know. <laughs> but what do you think about um, 
about all these teams that are that are upset and giving big old pouty faces to Major League Baseball about how the Indians got Donaldson. I also like that um, Chris Antonetti basically said, "Deal with it." He was <laughs> in the oh, interview yeah. with Zach Mizell. He said, "Like we're do we did nothing that other, nothing that any other team wasn't trying to do." So it's not like they had some sneaky plan they were doing. Literally, the Yankees and probably the Red Sox were doing the exact same thing. And, you know, I've seen comments like, oh, they outsmarted the other team. I I don't think they did. They were just before them on the waiver wire line, quite honestly. Like, it's just... Well, no, I think he went all the way through the the waiver wire, right? No, I mean, he wouldn't have ended up on the Indians if he had gone all the way through, though. Because it's whoever claims you first. Well, no, if you go all the way through, and then you can trade to anybody. But I'm pretty sure he cleared waivers. Did he? I, I thought the I thought the Indians yeah. claimed him off waivers. Oh okay. no, because the Yankees I, and Red Sox could have stopped it then, but he cleared waivers and then they were negotiating with a bunch of people. Oh, well, and the Indians just they can shut up. What the heck? Right? Like, <laughs> like, listen, baseball. You know, I don't know. It's that nothing is always done on the up and up. And yeah, maybe he was secret injured, or maybe he did get injured on the plane when he, maybe he fell off some stairs, or maybe they have better <laughs> doctors in Cleveland, or who cares? What a stupid thing to complain about for two teams that have. Way more wins than both the It wasn't going to help the, the, the Yankees win the division. They're still going to be going to the wild card game. Uh, the Red Sox are still going to win 105 games. The, the Yankees still don't even need a third baseman. They have. Doesn't Andahar. Isn't Andahar a good player? Like. That's who's playing second base with him or third base with him, right? Yeah. I don't know. This. It all seems like it's just a bunch of guys complaining because they didn't get to do the thing that they wanted to do, which is just, I don't know. It seems like sour grapes to me, and I think it's very silly. Yeah, Andrew Hart's yes. a very good player. Like, come on. he's, he's he, Right now, he'd be the third best hitter on the Indians. So, I mean, what? What was the point? What's the point of you complaining is my real question. <laughs> I don't I, – it's not like it's going to solve anything. Is MLB yeah. going to avoid the trade because of that? I don't know. I get they're just they're just whining to the teacher basically. <laughs> so if anybody has the right to complain about it, it's almost Donaldson of the MLBPA because Donaldson. I mean, as we learned from him talking to the Indians after the trade and what Zach Mizell said in his piece is he didn't feel he was healthy enough to play. Which again, it it might be that he wasn't actually healthy or he just didn't want to. But the Blue Jays found he was healthy and traded. If there is any precedent to be set, it should be that a player can't just be yanked off the disabled list and traded just because he isn't healthy. But I can almost promise you that's not why the Yankees and Red Sox are upset about this trade. Why do you think they're upset? They're big whiner booper babies. I don't... Oh, sure, I know. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't see how it helps them at all. Like, Other than they just want to whine because they didn't get them. Right? And it's funny that the Astros and Yankees, of all people, would be concerned about the morality of a trade, considering the closers that they currently have. Or the the gift-wrapped, you know, um, what position does he even play now? Left field? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Carl Stanton guy? That yeah, exactly. Yeah, old-known just... baseball player? Who's to say how he ended up on this team of all teams? It had no driving force or any... Oh, no, no. Um, no, I don't know. It's, it's just... It's, it's even, like I said, sour grapes. And they just... They don't want another contender to get better. And I think if any... If he was going to help any team the most, it was probably going to be the Indians, because the Indians probably have the worst offense of anyone going in... Of any of the contenders going into the... Um, playoffs right now so them getting a guy who could potentially you know go supernova for for three weeks i think this is also a good time to bring up a question we got for later which goes right into what you were talking about kenneth westfall on facebook he wanted to know do we need donaldson to play like 20 his 2015 self or just reliable power bat to be successful in the postseason um so i don't think they need to like have him 
does he need to go supernova for three weeks or i mean they really just need like mm-hmm. one or two hits we've talked about this before they don't need because an mvp is made over multiple seasons they just need a couple really important hits from a guy right. who no, can I mean, win MVP. i really. think what they could use is a hot streak from someone and consistent on base ability from from multiple people like right like that's really how you that's really how you build a, a championship in october if he can just get on base a lot and then, you know, yeah, hit a home run, hit one home run per round and get on base a bunch through walks, singles, what have you. No, they don't need, they don't need him to go on his hottest of hot streaks. They just need him to be very good. So I think that's more than doable. I, if he, if he, you know, turns into his best self, yeah, he's the best hitter on the Indians. If he turns into a very good player, then he's the third best hitter on the Indians. But the you know worst case scenario he's he's an insurance policy for some of these other great hitters, you know not being as good as they could be or some of the the acquisitions in the last year or two being still you know positive offensive contributors but at the same time just not what was expected I suppose talking about you know yonder and uh, and Carnosium right now. So I want to talk about one of those good hitters who's not exactly on what we can call a hot streak. Um, but Jose Ramirez, he stole a base the other day, got himself in the 30 home run, 30 stolen base club. He's the 39th overall play to do it, the third Indian. Um, Grady Sizemore and Joe Carter both did it. He's one of, I don't know why this stat was brought up, but one of only three players under 5'9", <laughs> which is a stat that somebody tweeted. Jimmy Rollins and Tommy Harper are the only other two. Because Jose, is, if you didn't notice, he's kind of short. He's also hits the ball really hard, so... What do you think about Jose's 30-30 club and his recent struggles? And every, I think everybody's like panicking about him for some reason, but he's been really bad for, are we at a month now where he's, since he's been really good? But either way, he's he was an MVP candidate, and now he's... I mean, he's now just an MVP candidate because he's the best player on a playoff team. More than else. Yeah, last 30 games, 22, 346, 380. It's, the power has disappeared, and that's what I think is the most troubling. It's cool he went 30-30. I mean, it's, you know, that's the, that's the mortals level of doing something really cool in baseball, I guess. Everyone wants to go 40-40, obviously, but if you look at the list of people who did that, I think it's a bunch of steroid users and then Alfonso Soriano somehow. Um, no, I, I forgot all about him. Right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it was just like the – what team was he with? I think it was just like the, the Nationals when he did it too. Uh, it's very – I don't know. The, I – I've been, you know, we watch him at the plate and he see, he doesn't seem any different, but it's just everything is, everything is off. Maybe he's just, an, you know, maybe he's just a quarter inch off, or, you know, a millimeter away from connecting for a home run or a base hit or something like that. But he looks terrible lately, uh, offen- like offensively, at least when you look at the numbers. And that's very distressing because this is, that's what happened last October. Now the fact that it's happening now, we, and again, we've seen this from him before. Right, we've seen him just go on the just struggle for a while, go on extended cold streaks that turn it that are followed up with an extended, you know, hot as fire streak. I I, I think back to I think it was last year in June, I want to say something like that, where he just he hit like like five hundred for the month or something like that, and just went from being a very good player to people talking about him as like again an MVP candidate. So. I'm not like worried yet, but at the same time, you're just kind of like, I wish you'd be good again because it's 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 when the season doesn't really have any drama, the things you you root for are 
you know, just good good players doing well, and he's not doing that right now. Yeah, last June, last year in June, he had a 1066 OPS. September, he had 1324 after August. It was a 686 OPS. So, actually, last August was what he basically was doing this September. And then it would be really nice if next if September turned into this year's October. Although he had a one, th- he had a, oh, never mind, it was only one game. Um, so yeah, maybe we can hope for that. Who's to say? Maybe maybe he just shifted everything one month, and that would be perfectly fine. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's always as simple as he's just trying to hit a home run. That's what everybody likes to say, but maybe it's just kind of that. It seems like people teams are shifting on him so much now. They're throwing way fewer fastballs to him. And do you want to take a guess at the last time he homered? If you don't already know. Well, he has four home runs the last month. Well, and I want to say he probably. Oh wait, last month I forgot when we were. Yeah, the last thirty days. Um, and he hit a, he hit like three of them over the course of uh three days. So it, I want to say it was like August like nineteenth or something like that. Seventeenth. You're a little too optimistic. Seventeenth. Long time okay. ago. Okay. <laughs> it was against the Orioles. So, I mean, he's been so bad since then. Like. He's still walking a little bit, but he's he's striking out more. Mm-hmm. He's not hitting home runs. It's I don't know. I concerning, I guess, right? Unless we're just going to assume that he can flip a switch and not be bored in the playoffs or something well, weird. But I mean, I don't think maybe he's tired. I mean, baseball is a long ass season. He plays a very you know a, a demanding, and now he's moving to a more demanding position, no less. So maybe it would behoove the Indians to give him a break. You know, an extended couple of days off let him rest and recuperate and i don't know you know just put him on the dl for 10 days to really freak everyone out (laughs) i feel like multiple players could use a break like that but tito seems to have his thing where he won't give him a break Mm -hmm. unless they come ask which is really weird but i seem to remember him saying that one time in a post-game conference i mean and that makes sense you 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 know but yeah, that's the thing. Like, I know you're a player's manager, but at the same time, you have to, you know, you're trying to manage the long season, not just right now. So you, you gotta you know, give him a break. You know, let, let him take a couple of days. I don't know. Tell him no because we're trying to win a championship. Not yeah, sure, whatever. Do whatever you want, man. So I don't know. <laughs> and uh, the last thing I want to see is people tying his struggles to his Mario Kart playing because that's like my favorite thing to come out of the season. The fact that. That's stupid. I haven't even seen that. Is that a thing? No, I, but come on. The way people are, people are going to see that and then his struggles. He's playing too much Mario Kart because he's not staying. Or what do they say? He's not sticking to baseball. He's doing other things besides playing baseball. Um, you know, it's going to happen. I want to play this stupid Mario Kart too. I'm really good at Mario <laughs> Kart. I like that by the sounds of it, like he's legit good. He's not like when you hear athletes play video games, usually they're. They're just sort of generally yeah. good. But by Zach Mizell's post, it sounds like he's actually like really good at Mario Kart, which is neat. Oh, whatever. I'm probably better. <laughs> and they have a I whole mean, arcade. I don't know if you saw it, game. but they have a whole arcade set up for it. It's really cool looking. I wonder, wonder which one they play. 64. 64. Oh, yeah. really? They play 64? They do, yeah. Damn. The best Mario Kart. Well, I guess 8 is probably my favorite, no. and then it's 64. No, Double Dash is the best oh, one. God. Jason Lucart said that too. Well, he's right. First of all, the GameCube controller, I think, is a controller par excellence. It had that weird yellow uh, control stick that no one ever used. Uh, I love that. It felt good in the hands. It wasn't too big. It wasn't too small. No, that, that button the perfect controller. A giant A button, a little B, and then the X and Y on the mm-hmm. edges. That is the best. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. Right. It was. It was. You, and again, the weird C or whatever the hell that thing was. <laughs> the, the the the. the yeah, the, the yellow control stick no one ever used. The the, the big wonky uh, things on the top that 
literally PlayStation just copied when they uh, developed the uh, DualShock, whatever they have now, with the two large and the er, the the two L two the L and R two buttons being bigger than the L and R one button being small. The oh, was the GameCube really the first to do that? Yeah, it was. I guess so. Yeah, it was Xbox. That. That's right. Xbox actually had the triggers. Yeah, didn't the original Xbox had the big trigger? It had legit triggers. That was now that was a great controller oh, as well. Now the only issue with that one was the original, a huge controller. The Duke. Yeah. Uh, the only, yeah. Yeah. The only problem <laughs> with that was how hard it was to reach up to the other shoulder button. Now didn't but you know what? Didn't Xbox have like ahead. the black and white buttons at first, and then eventually shift to shoulder buttons just on the original Xbox? Or am I imagining that? I thought they did. It had black and white buttons, but maybe didn't it also have? It had triggers. What do those buttons do in Halo? It did. Ha- it had two triggers. You're right, and then it had. It did have the black and the white buttons. I thought eventually the black and white moved to bumpers, but maybe that wasn't until the 360. I think you're right because when they came up with the, the uh, Xbox S controller, yeah, oh that little thing. That was I was a Duke loyalist to the very end. Anyway, hell yeah, man, that thing ruled. I mean, and people would like like mod them out with like backlighting the center thing. Oh man, that thing ruled. I love that controller. Oh, I do miss like console modding that was the height of it was the original xbox and 360 a little bit but because it was so huge and inside was just nothing it was empty (laughs) you just put all the chips you want in there and get free games from mecha salt it's fine it's great Mm. (laughs) so getting back to jose if he now that was for if you did a software hack you could get free games from i don't remember how it worked but that's how you could patch um the software onto it anyway jose ramirez um so i was i was thinking about before his his recent downfall i'm not gonna call it downfall yet but ungreat season um his hideous fade into nothingness <laughs> his go. descent into anonymity well when i saw grady sizemore the come end up of his career for another player who went 30 30 i started thinking about like three season stretches because grady sizemore was great for those three seasons and you look at jose ramirez like he's almost already better if he is, if he can recover this year and finish out strong, and then have a really good 2019, that's like one of the best three year spans, right? Because I tried to do some like really quick math. I can't think of any way other than just to manually look it up. But I think Joe Jackson had the most, the most WAR over a three year stretch from 1911 to 1913 at 25.9, and then Jose Ramirez right now is at 14.4. So if he has another decent to really good season next year then he's going to be really close to that. Like he's at least the best of this century and he's probably better than most of the nineties Indians over three year stretch. I mean, if he can do it over a full career, that's another story, but just a short burst of being really good. He has a chance to be like one of the best Indians at all time of that. No, definitely. I mean, and that, that's, that's one of the unheralded things about what, because what he's at seven and a half right now. I, mean, I think he'll probably sneak into eight right now. He was at six and change last year and he was like a four and a half, five win player in 2016, something like that. Right. Yeah, so even if he falls off a cliff, he's still got that four and a half isn't too bad. No, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, Grady Sizemore really only did ever have those three good years. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I think everything – I want to write about Jose Ramirez so much more because he's so amazing, but it's just it's hard to find new things to write about him because you, I've already written about him so many times. But no, everything he does is absolutely amazing. And yeah, even right now, he's just very bad, but there's no expectation that this will continue. In fact, the expectation should be he was going to get – He's going to only get better. I mean, he's only 25 years old. His peak isn't for two more years. So, And don't forget the Indians have him through like his, his prime, most of it. Yeah, through until he's, I believe, 31. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a sin to say that this might he might end up being one of the best Indians, like literally of all time, simply because he's just 
really, really, you know, I mean, just because he came out of nowhere doesn't mean he can't be one of the greatest of all time. You know what I mean? I mean, shoot. Right. Like, no matter how good Lindor is, he's only here for three more years, most likely, unless something amazing happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, he's and... entering arbitration. <laughs> and then two years after that, and then New York Yankee Francisco Lindor might be a reality, which is depressing. Um, I mean, well, that's the thing. He's, and he's better than Francisco Lindor. He hits better than him. I mean, he. Are we there Lindor already is... that he's better than. I guess, yeah, I guess, right? No, he. I mean, he is. His numbers all say that he's better. He just doesn't play shortstop. That's all. I mean, shortstop's a harder position to play. Obviously, Lindor obviously anchors the defense. But how how much do you value versatility? I guess you know what I mean. And that's the thing too. I mean, if we go by wins above replacement by the end of the year, if if Ramirez spends the rest of the year at uh, second base instead of third base, that even that you know twenty five games or whatever it's going to be. What, yeah, 22 games. That's going to give him a considerable positional boost right there in terms of wins above replacement, which will help him out too. Yeah. Um, and he's good at it too. So that's like Francisco Lindor. I'm just searching his now. Yeah, and it's, it's I, so sad that he's going to leave. He's what? He's going to leave. Oh, did, I, did I make you sad in the middle of the podcast? You made me a little, you made me a little bit sad. A little <laughs> well, bit gross. Contracts for another question that we have coming up later. And then I was like, oh, that's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's potentially three years away from never being on the team again. Uh, and maybe it's not fair to Jose because he doesn't speak English. So I don't, like, it's hard to tell like how he is as a leader to p- other players. But yeah. like Francisco Lindor is clearly a leader in the clubhouse. I think like he, he came out and told fans that not don't boo our players. I thought that was really cool. He had the thing with Yandy Diaz where he went to Tito and talked with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's not a thing that shows up anywhere. It shouldn't count for too much, I guess. But that's another check in the Lindor column of being a great leader. And that's the thing you can't really quantify. I mean, that's I mean, it's it, people always talk about intangible as being exactly that. You can't really chart them at all. But there's other things you can't chart too. You can't chart the the actual impact of someone like Roberto Perez. I mean, I know people complain about his hitting because it's you know dreadful. But I still think he's a very good catcher. God, he's so bad. Good lord, I gotta stop looking at that. But uh, or, yeah, I mean, he, oh, boy, I Roberto even Perez someone facts. like Don Gomes, you know, I get he's not a great, he just, he's just <laughs> below average hitter, but you know, we, we can't chart these things. But again, they're good leaders. But what Lindor does, I think, also for just for the locker room is it's, it's, I don't know, it is important and it's something that we can't really tell if, it's, if Ramirez is part of that too. But he seems, I don't know, I mean, with everything we hear from him, he said at least he's a good teammate. So, I mean, how much more? I think good teammate's a good way to put it. That's if you don't have to be a leader as long as you're a good teammate and you play really well, right? I mean, I take that over a great leader who's not very good any day. <laughs> Lindor just happens to be both. So, yeah, maybe in, in October they're going to need a leader, but right. at this point, these guys are all, you know, I mean, it, it's funny to think of Francisco Lindor at 24 years old being a grizzled veteran, but he's got, you know, 2,000 plus plate appearances under his belt or whatever. And they have the, that entire pitching staff, and they have guys like Encarnacion and, and people like that too, just to be leaders. So, you know, to to be kicking the pants type of guys, and I'm sure Tito can be like that too. So, so Merritt, I know you looked into so September call up things, which is something that happened recently because it is you know September, um, and some people seem to have a lot of mixed feelings on September call ups and how they work and if they should even be here. So, so what'd you find on the Indians recent September call-ups and what we might be able to expect, well, expect going This is all forward. driven by seeing Brandon Barnes at a home run the other day. And I thought to myself, Brandon Barnes, who's that? Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's 32 years old. <laughs> I was like, oh, never mind then. <laughs> so I moved on with my day. 
before we get into real talk, he looks like like a Walmart brand Josh Donaldson because he's got like the same hair and he's he's just like older. Maybe not. He's just older Josh Donaldson. He's a slightly older Josh Donaldson. Like he's, he's not even older than Josh Donaldson. He looks like a way. I think he might be younger than Josh Donaldson, but he looks like a way older Josh Donaldson. <laughs> anyway, I, sorry, I, just, I, I decided to take a look at just you know. So when I think of September call-ups, I, I mean it can be literally anyone in the, in, on the forty-man roster, right? Um, first year, second year, fifth year. Somehow you're still on the forty-man roster in five years, haven't been rule five or something like that. Wow, what are you doing? You must either stink or have naked pictures of someone or something. Yeah, major league salary if you're in the forty-man roster. Hmm. Anyway, um, not major league. No, you can you still get. I think you get like the. I think you get like the league minimum until you're. Right? I don't know. Probably. Maybe? Well, I mean, but you get major league money, I guess, is what I was wondering. Anyway, um, what I decided to look at was just, you know, first-year call-ups and, you know, fun young players or whoever. You know, guys who make – getting their first cup of coffee. Now, Matt, when you think of a cup of coffee, what do you think of? Uh, what is that show called? Better not be comedians in cars getting coffee. No, my wife would kill me because she loves this show. It's Twin Peaks. Ah, I've never seen Twin Peaks. Interesting. Oh, the one guy loves coffee, and he says this is a good cup of coffee. Anyway, that's the when I hear your cup of coffee, I never think of baseball. I always think. Oh, uh, really? Well, I've always liked the same cup of coffee. But I'm sure you're talking something baseball, so maybe it means a player coming up and get a try. Well, I mean, generally, when they say cup of coffee, it's just like you're you're there for a couple of games. So I, I decided to look at players who's in their first year spent what did I say, like twenty or less games. They played in twenty or fewer games in September. In their first season. Now, this isn't ironclad, but I got a couple of few, a couple of fun names on this little list I drummed up here. And Matt, who do you think had the best September first September call up since 1980 among the Cleveland Indians? <laughs> I was hoping you'd narrow it down for me, but I'll, I'll go from 1980. That's fine. It's going to be some nobody, right? I know. No, it is. actually, it's a name that you've said before. Well, that really not on the podcast necessarily, but I'm sure you've said this man's name. I'll tell you you this one: it's a man. So there you go, Manny Ramirez. Wrong. It's Brian Giles. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You only played a what was it? How many? How many? uh, He put up a 14.44 OPS, but it was only in uh, nine plate appearances. He went six. He went five for nine with a home run, a couple RBIs, and struck out once. Um, which really kind of, you know, gave us a hint to the really, really good career that Brian Giles had when you think about it. What, what, <laughs> Not with the Indians. <laughs> oh, I know, but you know, just one of the many, 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 many players they could not find room for in that mid-90s team. Because, again, career 902 OPS, yeah, steroid area and all that stuff. But still, I mean, even in 1999, 2000, he's putting a 157 OPS plus up for, uh, for Pittsburgh. So... That's pretty impressive to me, I think. All right, but who do you think is number two in uh, the OPS in, a, in their in their first September call up since 1980? Brandon Barnes. I, you didn't give me a minimum at bat. So. All right, this is minimum. It's tw- it's 20 <laughs> games or less is what it oh, is. Well, try and get guess okay. one of the top five by OPS since 1980. Since 1980, I'll give you a Jose Ramirez. Ooh, nice. There you go. So. There we go. Look at that. Third. 
Manny Ramirez. <laughs> no, it doesn't even show up here. I, I, don't, think, <laughs> I don't think he was a September call-up. I don't call-up. think he was ever a September call-up, no. <laughs> Turns out he I'm was... I'm at the point where I'm picking random players. So, Yandy Dia. No, not never a September call-up. Once again. <laughs> um, no, uh, the top know, five are Giles, Sizemore, Ramirez, Ward, and Dave Clark in that order. Just about to say that. All um, in that order. Now, I forgot Sizemore was a September call-up. I... I, I yeah, in 2004, uh, 306, 393, 551, pretty concise line he put there that kind of gives a hint to what kind of player he'd be down the line. Six walks, 12 strikeouts, hit a pair of home runs, uh, stole a base in 13 games. I mean, that's basically the, the player that, that uh, Grady became, in a, you know, in a very small sense. I think it was Jose Ramirez, though. He went 333, 429, 500 in 14, 15 games, 14 plate appearances, hit a triple, uh, was caught stealing, walked twice, and struck out twice. I don't know. I was trying to find some kind of trend here in terms of can you glean anything at all from a September call-up? And the answer is probably no, huh? No, I wouldn't think so. It's, it's really similar to spring training numbers, right? Like, I mean, it really, in many times it is. But, you know, like, da- like Dave Clark, 276, 348, 448, pretty good player. Uh, Jerry Willard, never heard of him because he played for the mid early to mid-80s uh, Indians and was probably pretty bad. Yep. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Just a guess at <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> on, his, uh, on his profile, very bad. Victor Martinez, though, he 281, 333, 406. Um, he whole bunch of hits. He had nine hits and 32 at bat. So uh, Jason Kipnis, again, 265, 324, 12, which is really basically Kipnis's career batting line. Um, not much you can glean from these things. I just thought it was neat just to see some names on here. Dave Roberts is on there, 178, 240, 244 in 18 games. Um, sort of by play. Coco Crisp, though, 271, 333, 400. Uh, he had the most plate appearances of any September call-up of the Indians since 1980. Came up in 2002. Is this true? This can't be right. He must have played more than that. <laughs> he played 32 know, games in, tw- in 2002. So he had a couple games in August as well. Um, and yeah, he's pretty effective. You know, he was Coco Chris. He basically played like Coco Chris played for that September. Uh, I didn't really have anything beyond that. I just thought it was kind of neat to see some of these names and uh, just kind of see how guys perform when they when they get the first hint of, um, you know, baseball, pro baseball, yeah, top level baseball. baseball. It's <laughs> Greg Allen got to start there last year. We saw Francisco Mejia there. Yeah, uh, Bra- that was neat. That's the neatest thing for me is seeing like top prospects who might not make it and just Bradley Zimmer. I don't get what the Blue Jays are doing, not bringing like. Oh, I, I um, mean, you get it. Well, I get what they're doing, but. It'd be so good to like just get him up and even leave him on the bench if you don't want him to play. Just let him be around a clubhouse for a while for nothing. I guess. But. I don't know. I mean, how, how much vibes does that actually have? You know, I don't know. Of course, what else is he going to be doing? Hanging out, doing nothing? Yeah, right. There's <laughs> some fun names I've forgotten. Remember Ben Broussard? Do I? Why does that sound familiar? Well, because he was a, I don't know, he was a pretty nice utility guy. He was uh, kicking around. He was on the 06 Indians, uh, traded to Seattle in 06. He's a name. Oh, he had a sweet goatee. He had another name. Um, Soul Pat. Yeah, that's what he has now. Reggie Jefferson, not quite Reggie Jackson, not quite George Jefferson, but still a baseball player. Uh, boy, he really made a lot of good decisions. Uh, he's on Cleveland until 1993. Then went to Seattle and then Boston and left there in 2000. So he really saw a lot of not quite there yet. Good he was the him. 90s of Sin Choo Choo, basically. Yeah. 
Good for him. <laughs> so we, close to being on great team. You know, without the talent. Cord Phelps, another fun name. <laughs> Sean oh, I Tacey. remember Cord Phelps. Hell yeah, dude. Cord Phelps was supposed to be a star because of that name alone. <laughs> Damn. I haven't thought about Sean Casey in a while. Yeah. that's. Oh, I was thinking, I was thinking Casey Blake. I was going to say he's the one who got us Carlos Santana, but that was Casey Blake. Nah, Sean Casey just had a... Played six games for the Indians in '97 before ending up on the uh, on the Reds the next year, and was actually pretty effective for a couple of years there. Good for him. Good for old Sean Casey. Anyway, that's all I got. I just thought it was kind of neat. Uh, Francis, again, there's Francisco Mejia, the aforementioned Giles. Twenty-seven players played between three and twenty games in their first year for the Indians since uh, ni- since 1980. Yeah, it was kind of a convoluted uh, construct of number of games but who cares whatever i'm the one doing this data research here. not you so <laughs> take that listener like you said it's interesting to know or to just to see those names of players have been called up so monday night we got to see the rays they use um what they call their opener once again where it's it's basically they use their best i would, I would assume their best reliever their closer somebody to use up front but not a sergio romo um he gets to the first three batters of the lineup and then they use like a usually a long relief for a couple innings and sort of piece it together with bullpen arms from there it's an idea that's been around for a little while, but this is the first year I think we're really seeing teams start to use it. And I, I'm feeling a little old man yells at Cloudy here because I don't like it. I, I, we, we talked about it before the show a little bit that I get it. it. It works. It helps. I'm not debating its usefulness and the idea that teams probably should be using it if they have to. But I don't like it, Merritt. I like starting pitchers and old-fashioned duels. And I like the idea that things start to get tense like later on with the same pitcher. I don't like seeing several relievers come in for the first couple innings. No, um, I mean, I mean, in, in that sense, I do agree with you. First of all, they're going to have to start reprinting the style of scorecard that people don't ever use anymore anyway. <laughs> but I mean, I'll say this, and this is something I'm stealing from Kyle Body of Driveline Baseball. He said this on Twitter that down the line, we're still going to, I mean, starting pitchers are never going to go away. Because sometimes having a guy face it face a lineup two or three times is more effective than going to a reliever to face three guys, um, because you still only have a certain number of uh, roster spots. You know what I mean? And like you can't just burn guys. Like Sergio Romo can't start every game. In fact, he's only started five. Uh, Ryan Stanek actually leads their, um, I guess, call it the bullpen in starts with twenty five, with along with nine games finished. Very interesting. Stat line for Ryan Stanek. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It's not often. It's, it's not always their best reliever. It was Diego Castillo uh, as we record this this evening. But again, he's thrown a hundred. The idea, I don't know. Guys like Corey Kluber are never going to go away, or, or, Trevor, or basically what the Indians have going on here are never is never going to go away. But what the Indians have going on here is rare beyond compare, I suppose. Right. So. I don't know. I you mean with all the starting pitchers. Sorry, you cut out. You mean with all the starting pitchers as rare that they have? Yes, exactly. I mean the fact that they have four guys who are in the top ten or fifteen in ERA, and they and they're all good through you know three times. Through, that's the thing. They can all go seven innings. They can all go through the order three times. That's not a thing. You, you that's normal. But that said, I mean as hitters get better and better and better, and I, I think I think that's a thing that is slept on a little bit as we talk about the pitching getting so good. I mean these hitters are so freaking good that they can hit. You know, I mean, Jose Altuve is hitting like 340 or something like that. Or, you know, Mookie Betts is is killing the ball. And th- these guys are throwing nigh unhittable pitches. Like, someone on the Indians is going to get shelled in, in the postseason. You know what I mean? It's going to happen. Um, 
or Chris Davinsky is going to give up a bunch of runs, or Clayton Kershaw has been terrible a bunch of games in the postseason career. These guys are amazing, and yet the hitters are getting better and better every single day. So I think that if pitchers of less note than a, you know, basically Mike Clevenger down, I guess, is the, a talent level that I would pick and go from. And the fact that they still play, you know, 162 games. It's never going to go, you know, the, having a normal starting pitching is never going to go away. It's just there's going to be a certain stratification of it all. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't hate it. It's neat. Um, I don't know if I'd want to see it become a regular thing happening all the time. But it's going to become a more regular thing as teams like the Rays or the Pirates or the Padres or the Indians or other teams that are cash-strapped need to find ways to win games when they can't, you know, when they can't always be developing starting pitching. If they're going that way with it, it's fine. I think if they're cash strapped, need to find a way to win. But I guess the cynical way of looking at it is you can also just do it to not pay a bunch of starting pitchers. Like sure. you get a bunch of no name relievers and save a bunch of money, but you're also that's that's fewer players getting paid, but they should probably be worth when they're just opening games. But I think the Rays like have a legit reason to use it. They just had a bunch of bullpen arms and no starters. But I mean, they did get Glass now, and don't they have like Blake Snell now? They yeah, have another Blake starter. Snell, so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, again, they have yeah, they, they have a deep, they have the bones of a good starting rotation. I mean, you know, Tyler Glass now is not going to be a, an opener. But yeah. also, too, I mean, no, I mean, be careful what you wish for. Pandora's box, et cetera, et cetera. If this becomes a thing, just like we're going to see, I mean, if especially having, if he hadn't gotten hurt this year, Andrew Miller does not have that many saves, right? But he would have gotten a king's ransom this offseason. Um, if guys all of a sudden demonstrate an ability to be a great opener, that's again going to like a smart agent is going to be able to leverage that into something more than a, a crappy middle relief contract. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, do you need like a great opener though? I guess it's not really proven yet because it's only been pretty good pitchers, but do you need just somebody who throws hard to get to the first couple batters? Right. Cause I guess there is oftentimes a good first inning, but it's usually like the, the starting pitchers get bad the last couple of times of the order. So I would think like at the beginning of the game where the batters haven't seen any pitches yet, and it's all still relatively new that maybe you could sneak by with a bunch of average openers and not just paying an Andrew Miller, a bunch of money to be your opener. Although I think if it was that, like you had Andrew Miller as a headliner, as the team's opener, that's mm-hmm. kind of neat. I think Yeah, like you have I mean, less starting pitchers, but you have this big name. It's almost like a quarterback. You have your opener every game. It comes in or pretty close to it. Well, what's the what's the main thing that separates a starter from a reliever too is a variety of good pitches. You know, if you right. only have to see a guy once, you only and you only have to throw twenty five pitches. You don't have to you know stretch yourself out, and you don't have to uh, have to start folding pitches in second and third times with the order. So, no, I th- I, I'll be honest. I, th- I think you're being a little reductive in saying just a pretty good pitcher. I mean, Diego Castillo throws 100 miles an hour, and he has a really, really good, and he has a pretty good slider too. That, that when thrown together is devastating. They scored a run off him tonight, but I mean, he and he does have a 3.40 ERA, but again, he's only thrown 45 innings, um, get 48 strikeouts. So he he has the numbers of a great starting pitcher, but he only ever relieves. So, I mean, that'd be like saying you can just have. Zach McAllister be your opener, which I think is ridiculous. We've seen him come in the middle of a game and be obliterated when, if anything, I feel like it would make more sense 
to, you know, like in the old days, it was you you try and get to the bullpen because the pitches are worse. Now it's like going it's going that way in, in, almost in reverse. You're going from a guy who throws 100 miles an hour to a guy who only throws 95, but he does it for five innings. So, yeah. no, I don't think it. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 a it's again it's a way of taking advantage of the tools you have, but it's also I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. No, I think I wouldn't mind seeing it. Just like a couple teams here and there have to do it. It's if it's a widespread thing, I don't think I'd like it as much because I still enjoy. I'll be honest. If I'm watching a team that's not the Indians, when they get to the relievers, I usually just turn the game away. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, don't... yeah. Exactly. I mean, unless it's someone with like a really killer bullpen who has like name, right. who, who has a very impressive bullpen. You know, I mean, you know, I was like watching Carter Caps pitch because it was weird. Yeah. Um, and or, now Adam uh, Sember, that's like the Indians' weird right. pitcher because he's a submariner. Yeah. So I don't know. Again, again, it's a neat, like you said, with like like an Andrew Miller opening. It's a it's a neat thing like that, but. It does create a certain facelessness, I suppose, which is kind of a buzzkill. Having, you know, we've all grown up seeing, oh, this is the starting pitching matchup tonight, tonight, to, you know, and it was, yeah. it was, it's special in a way. It, it creates a marquee, whereas the, I guess the opening thing kind of, it eliminates that, but it creates more of a, you're going to be consumed by this machine known as the raised pitching staff <laughs> yeah. sort of a thing. Which again, yeah. it does. Uh, I guess you're, you're kind of. It does kind of. It, it could, in theory, kind of hurt in negotiations. Again, in the short term, but if you have a smart agent who sees the way to leverage that to a team who might struggle or something like that, who, or a team who needs to get over the hump like that, I don't know. It's it's a neat, cool tool, and I think it's it works. Apparently, the the Rays are like number two, one or two in ERA in baseball since like they started using. It. I don't know. They, they have some absurd number. But what, Matt, you old man? <laughs> I don't like it. I like my old fancy baseball with the white uniforms and the gray uniforms mm-hmm. and the stars. No blue shirts. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Gladys, they're wearing blue shirts again. What's going on? All right. Every Monday, we ask everybody on Facebook and Twitter for their questions, what they want to know about the Indians, baseball in general. we got time read. for a couple this week. <laughs> never, never. I didn't bother. Yeah. I just ask and then siphon your information that's all i do it's fine um so there's time for a couple today the first one is at eg keller emily keller on twitter she wants to know are people thinking too simplistic simplist uh simplistically about kip to center field considering his on base percentage versus allen's all season and recently again the strikeout rates of the potential postseason opponents the defensive downgrade may be worth it route no question mark so maybe worth it no like it's you know mm-hmm. what i meant yeah. Um, so I think I'm, I'm I'm on record on the podcast as saying screw defense at this point. <laughs> so I, the only real debate for me is if how how big of an upgrade is Kipnis's bat compared to Allen's, which it might not be that huge. But if it it's if it even comes out above even, I think you do it just to have that little bump and then take the risk of a ball going to center field that he can't get. But I don't, you don't, I don't think you agree with that, do you? No, not at all. I find defense to be it's a, <laughs> it's incredibly important. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't it's it. like rebounding in basketball. It's the thing you talk about the least, but literally no defensive stand end <laughs> until you rebound the ball. Like you need to, <laughs> you need to catch the ball. Some like I know the ground ball rates are high, and these guys strike out a lot. But are we just assuming if it, the ball is going to go in the air in October, it's going to go over the fence? Is that just the assumption now? Sure. No, I'm just, I don't think there's going to be that many balls that would really. Like if you if you think Kipnis's bat is a is a sizable upgrade over Greg Allen, I think it's there's got to be a point where it's fine, right? Where 
like the two or three balls that he might miss compared to Allen are okay, considering he might hit an extra two or three, but I don't know. Well, and, and that's the thing. Like, I is it? I mean, what? Let's go to the videotape, or in this case, the numbers we have in front of us. Then they're not, you know, they're again, it's a 601 OPS against the 693 OPS. It's 15 home runs against two. It's eight doubles versus, you know, again, the counting stats are obviously in Kipnis' favor because he's played twice as many games as Allen, but. I mean, Zog Allen is some superstar stud center fielder, but he can at least get to the ball. He he makes it look difficult, but he gets to balls that I don't think Jason Kidman would ever have, ever have any business getting to, I suppose. I didn't like it last year. I still don't like it. Um, I, I, I understand your logic, and it makes sense to me in a way. They still need to hit, and Kipnis is at least having a better second half than he was the first half. Um. If that continues, then yeah, that's fine. Because what, what, what are his, his splits in the last like you know month or so, something like that, are pretty good, aren't they? I think you, I'm almost there. While I stretch this out, second half it's a 7.37 OPS, which is shit. Uh, <laughs> literally, that <laughs> yeah. is it really. Um, <laughs> so he's. I mean, he I had a couple. I think he's back to being bad again now. But it seems like he's streaky, and then he's. I don't right. know. Right, and again, yes, he's more, he is a more effective. At the plate player than Allen, but Allen is more effective in the base pads, and he's—I think he's more effective in 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 the outfield. Yeah, that's the other big thing for me is on the bases that Allen can be. That might that might shift it far enough where his better defense and his really good base running might be enough to overcome whatever tiny advantage Kipnis has in his bat. And also, too, I mean, if we run under the assumption that uh, Josh Donaldson is going to be an effective hitter, whatever level of effective that looks like, whether it's you know, he's a 150 OPS plus or a 120, you know, something if he, whether, whether he's Jose Ramirez or Michael Brantley or somewhere between Brantley and Encarnacion, he is head and shoulders above Kipnis offensively. And already he's, I mean, we're going to have Ramirez there. We're going to have, um, what's his name? Donaldson at third. And then, that allows you to deal with the offensive deficiency that Allen brings. Because at that point, I think that the the, uh, the change between Allen and Kipnis, while bringing in, again, operating the, under the assumption Donaldson will be good, while bringing in a, a pretty good Josh Donaldson, I think the improvement offensively is so marginal enough to be pointless, I suppose. But what yeah. do you do with him? I don't. I mean, I'm just, I don't know. What what else do you do with Jason Kipnis? I guess bench him and then what? You know, have him just be a, a, a mediocre utility guy. I don't know. I'm sure it's nothing. But today, if you look at Jason Jason Kipnis's Twitter as I loudly clack on the keyboard, um, he was looking for help with Chicago realtors out there for short term rentals. I'm sure that's nothing, but that is really ominous timing there, Jason. Um, he's looking for short term housing in Chicago right as Josh Donaldson's about to come over. Why would he be doing that? I don't know. I mean, he, I guess he lives in Chicago. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe he's... I mean, he has family in Chicago. Yeah. So I don't, it's just weird to ask that publicly, like, right before this happens. You have to know how that's going to look, right? Well, obviously. I don't know. I just I, I try not to read into things. Oh, Never. see, I try to read into everything. That's fine. See, I always failed literary <laughs> something or other in 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 the school. So everything... <laughs> oh, I didn't say I passed either. It doesn't mean I stopped doing it. 
I read the, I read for sale baby shoes never used and said, boy, you can get those for a deal. Moving on with my day. So those are brand new shoes. You got to resell oh, those. Yeah, what kind of a deal? Why are you selling so cheap? What the heck? Why'd you buy them in the first place? What yeah, are you wait doing? a minute. What's it? I'm a, you know, too many questions. I love the deal. Let me get this. Why are you so sad? Anyway. <laughs> so our last question we'll do here. Um, Zachary David on Facebook. I look all this up before. I just want to get it out just so he knows. Um, what kind of bonus incentive pay do Kluber, Ramirez, and Lindor get if they win the Cy Young or MVP? So I looked these all up on, um, if you don't know, something called Spotrack. It has a great I, breakdown of contracts. Track. Also, I used to think it was Sporttrack. Oh, <laughs> Spotrack? Spotrack. No, Spotrack. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a collection of letters that don't make a word. So. <laughs> well, oh, why is it? It's like sport contract, sort of? I don't know. Anyway, S P O T R A C. If yeah. you Google a player name and then Spotrack or Spotrack or Spotteracker, whatever, you get um, usually there comes up. Their search engine sucks on their own site, but just search it like that. Um, so Lindor, he obviously doesn't have anything. He's technically not on like a contract yet. He's still under arbitration. He will be Francisco Lindor. You mean right? What did I say? Okay, just checking, just making sure you're talking. We're talking about the same guy. Yeah, Lindor. So because uh, remember, he's going to be gone in three years after he's done with arbitration. Never signs a long term extension. What? I didn't say that. <laughs> so there's no incentives for him right now. By the way, this year he made like sixteen or sixty six hundred and twenty thousand dollars. That's all he made. So next I year he's gonna start getting that. paid and it'll escalate every year. Um Corey Kluber has what are called Cy Young escalators, basically changes to the contract. If he wins the Cy Young, not till twenty in twenty twenty one though, which is weird. Um so in those two years, he gets an extra half million dollars if he's sixth to tenth place in um the Cy Young vote. That's uh, three quarters of a million dollars if he's four to fifth, a million for second to third, and two million for first. I guess that's kind of this the Indians hedging that if he's still good when he's in his what'll that be like mid thirties, then they're gonna yeah. get um he's gonna get paid more. And then also has an option. So his options are in twenty and twenty twenty one again. They increase I don't I don't quite get what this means. It just says the options increase by one point five million per Cy Young bonus. Does that mean like for every Cy Young he wins that goes up by a million and a half? Is it already up? So. Maybe million? if you win three Cy Youngs, you're gonna get four and a half million dollars. Yeah. So is that like from now though? Like, has he already gone up three million dollars from what he's won? That's a good That's question. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it really can't be from those years. Well, but. he was still on. He was still on a, on a rookie deal for when he when he won his first one. So I don't, I don't think so. Wasn't oh, okay. That's right. But yeah, yeah, maybe he wasn't one of the ones they signed like right away. He in fact, was, yeah, I think I mean he's still in his arb years right now too. So that's why I don't think they escalate until twenty whatever because those are actual oh, free agency oh, years that were bought out. Yeah, he's really still in arbitration. Yeah, he didn't come up until like twenty eleven or something. Maybe this is a maybe this is a free agent year for him. I'm not sure, but yeah, he signed a five year contract in some year. Where is it? Why it was so? This is actually no, right. Yeah. Yeah, this is actually his final arbitration year, ostensibly. Yeah, he's making $10 million, $10.5 million, which still isn't bad. But then, I mean, yeah. for what he is, that's extremely cheap. So. Right, no, it's absurd. He's one of the greatest deals, and yeah. he's, at this point, the third greatest. Well, speaking deal, of the, the greatest, greatest deal, deal also <laughs> Jose Ramirez, who gets a $1 million performance escalator for 2022 and 2023. He's on like a five-year, $26 million total deal. So. Yeah. They're getting an MVP candidate through his prime for basically nothing, which is insane. But that's what they have. Lindor has nothing. Um, Kluber has a bunch for Cy Young winners. And Jose, from what Spotrack can get, is just generic performance escalators, which I guess 
is probably like rankings and certain stats. I don't know, but there's some kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's our show this week, Merritt. It was a very clean and easy show to record. Zero problems whatsoever. Very It'll be very easy to edit. You know, in 1871, <laughs> Corey Cooper would have made $523,000 this year. So there you go. What? Yeah, well, what do you call it? Uh, baseball reference has a thing where you can change it to like how much you would have made in that year in these dollars. You know, in oh, 2010, cool. it would have been $9 million this year. In we could take what we make on this million. podcast and do that and see what we make in 1970. Ooh, let's find out. We 1970, like $1.6 million. <laughs> That's what we'd make, yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right, Marriott, since you're leaving us for you, a week, I guess you we'll... You made more than the president in 1930. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, Merritt is abandoning us next week, so we will talk to everybody Ooh. in two weeks, and we'll see you then. See you later, Merritt. Have fun. Bye. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.